Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Table Talked. This week I have a really special conversation for you. I brought my friend Margaret on and she is incredible. She's an actor, storyteller, TTRPG enthusiast, fight choreographer, intimacy coordinator, lots of titles. Uh, she's also a queer woman and we talk about her journey into uh, playing D&D and how to make our tables more inclusive and inviting. Also, if you like tabletop and want to hear more conversations, we want to give those to you, but it would really help us if you gave us five stars on Apple Podcasts, hit the subscribe button, and told somebody you know would love the podcast. We're still in our early phases and we can use all the support we can get. Well, that's enough of me talking and babbling on. Here is the episode with our special guest, Margaret. Welcome, Margaret. I'm so glad that you're here to talk to me today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So um, we had a discussion uh, a while ago about sort of the, I don't want to say like the male gaze of D&D, but just sort of like the... I think you can say the male gaze yeah, of D&D. Yeah, I guess. Yeah the, yeah, the male gaze of D&D and sort of the, the very like white cis nature of it. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of want to, to deep dive that because it's like a very interesting conversation, especially when it comes to running campaigns and being in them. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it feels like that there are just so many of these like traps around for a DM that wants to do a, a good job, but then also just when it comes to being a player mm-hmm. in that sort of culture, like how that feels because it's not super like it doesn't <laughs> cater to anyone except for like the original the original players <laughs> yeah no 100 percent. i mean for the record since this is an audio medium i suppose i'll just say that i am a cisgendered white woman so that will color my views on this 100 <laughs> percent. but i think for me knowing the reputation of D&D was the reason I didn't play for so many years. I yeah. was like, people were like, oh, I love D&D. You want to join this campaign? And I was like, mm, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I have no interest in this whatsoever. I don't need to sit around with, you know, four sweaty nerds in their mom's basement. Checking, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, Mountain well, Dew. Honestly, when I was in um, high school, and I was trying to get my friends together to play. I also kind of ran into that a little bit, where people were yeah. like, "I'm not, gonna, I'm not like that." <laughs> Which look, I like reading and I like nerdy stuff, but D and D, yeah, like- <laughs> exactly. And I guess that there was. I mean, my mom had a totally different sort of like prejudice against it. She was like, "Satan will come into your soul." <laughs> yes, my ex's mom was the same way. She was yeah. very much like you got to be careful with that stuff. Like. Yeah, yeah, for, for real. It's like the satanic panic never ended. Truly. <laughs> but then, yeah, I was thinking about it too. I read a really great article. I've kind of mentioned it in previous episodes as well, but there was an article about how um, there was this Jewish man who loves D&D, mm-hmm. um, but he also was like, this is a very problematic game because a lot of the monsters and stuff are just ripped wholesale from different faiths. Right, uh, like, so like golems and things like yeah, that. And yeah, and even like a lich, like a phylactery is mm-hmm. a like Jewish ceremonial piece in, in some like oh. religious ceremonies and stuff. So it's like there's like stuff in there where you're not super... You know, yeah, it's just not a great, not a great look. But yeah, um, so I guess I wanted to just 
first just turn it over to you and say like what's your what has been your experience as like a woman uh, and if you don't mind me saying a queer woman yeah playing D D. um that's a it's a good question i think the hardest hurdle was starting at all and i feel like i had a lot of different perceptions about what kind of people played D D, what sort of room that would be and I think the only reason that I got as into it as I did was because I played with other creative people. I've only played with actors. I only ever want to play with actors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that there's a real spirit of the sort of yes and in mm-hmm. that room. And so if I come in and I say, I want to be a haggard old man with one tooth yeah. um, who's still trying to relive his <laughs> glory days in the arena, yeah. the whole team sort of goes, cool. And yeah. it's just, you know, we move along. Um, I've often been the only girl in my campaigns, Mm, the only woman. And because of the people I play with, it's been mostly a good experience. But I do think that there's, uh, I don't know that there's an expectation that there'll be a romantic plot line, but it feels like it happens a lot. Yeah. Which like I'm open to sometimes if it's good storytelling. Right. But it doesn't seem like it's a, compulsion that falls on other players yeah (laughs) do you know what i mean even when they're playing you know i play with guys who play play female characters but i just don't think the expectation is the same yeah and i think that there's yeah there's sort of like the unseen sort of cultural prejudice of being an american playing so maybe this is different wherever it's played or whatever but Mm -hmm. i totally i totally get that yeah i i don't know It's, it's just really strange because for me in in a a weird way, it has been sort of instrumental for me being able to explore my sort of identity of Mm -hmm. different things. Uh, Like my original character, uh, William or Bill Stabums. (laughs) (laughs) Great name. Obviously started as sort of a joke character, allowing me to sort of distance myself from D&D as I started to play. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What does he do? He stabs people. Stabums. But yeah, and then throughout... uh, it sort of just became that Bill was sort of like a, a pansexual uh, confidence man um, mm-hmm. who sort of like was very fluid in all ways. Yeah. And so it, it did allow me to explore sort of uh, taking on an identity of somebody who was interested in many different, you know, genders and like uh, thought, you know, yeah. thoughts in um identities i guess and and so it's slowly shifted for me identifying as like a cis white man Mm -hmm. to sort of like a bisexual they he person you know what i mean yeah and so like uh i think that it can be like super powerful in that way but Mm -hmm. i i do also agree that there's been times in campaigns where like i've either been listening to them or or playing them and i'm just like oh man this is really tough like are we Mm -hmm. going into a a town that's like sort of inspired by some problematic thing in history that we have right. to deal with. And it's like, we're kind of using this as a plot point or like you said, is is someone being pigeonholed based on what they have chosen to play or mm-hmm. like lots of different traps to fall into. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, the lovely thing about exploring a character in D&D is that you do have that freedom to explore maybe a part of yourself that you're not as comfortable with or not aware of. And that's a lot of fun when you're playing with people from just all these different backgrounds and different gender and, you know, sexual orientations and races and everything else. But I think when you're playing with a group that's largely the same, (laughs) um, it turns into this sort of wish fulfillment, which if I'm in a group of um, guys 
playing this game and all of them want to fulfill the wish of being the strongest and smartest one in the room who gets right. all the girls. Yeah. That's not an environment I'm interested in yeah. at all. <laughs> I, I don't want to be there for that. So, uh, you know, it's a it's an interesting line to toe of like, yes, exploring what you would want to be in an ideal world, but I think that means that you have to make sure that the group you're playing with, their uh, version of their ideal self is good (laughs) that sounds rude but you know what i mean i I totally get what you mean because i don't know because it's also like in a good story structure you can't be like larry stew uh wish fulfillment all the time like there has to be struggles there has to be stuff and if you are embodying somebody who you do not identify as but also have no intention of trying to empathize with that Mm -hmm. experience Mm -hmm. then i think you get into a lot of trouble very quickly (laughs) like if you are playing you know uh like a a a female wizard who is you know um started as a a noble and was going to be forced to be married off or whatever Mm -hmm. and like runs away and joins an adventuring party like if you are a straight man who does not value the struggle of like women in a uh, patriarchal world. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of discount that. And it's like, oh man, my main struggle is that I can't get enough spells to kill all these people <laughs> or whatever. Like, I don't know. I just feel like it can lead, it can kind of force the entire story into a direction where you're just like, is this all meaningless? And also did we do kind of like a net harm to yeah, <laughs> our absolutely. understanding of things? Well, I think that there's sort of a general issue inside of science fiction, inside of um, these created realities, Star Wars, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. Anything that we're going, okay, we're creating this world. Where I feel like there's this tendency in a lot of white creators to sort of role play a suppressed class. Yeah. And I think that's... really complicated yeah you know real yeah you see this i think all the time in in classic media Mm -hmm. right of people saying like yes but in this world even though i'm a straight white person i'm being oppressed and like that's really messy when you're doing something for entertainment Mm -hmm. and i think i think we don't talk about that or explore that enough and so i think heading that off by creating the parameters of your world yeah is important and i also think that you know not doing that and just jumping in and saying like this is the role that i'm playing and i'm uh, beholden to these people creates a hostile environment when you are Mm -hmm. trying to diversify a group like i I wouldn't want to join that you know yeah exactly um if someone came up to me and they said okay in this world the women have all the power and we men are subjugated in this way that and the other i'd be like okay cool bye yeah exactly like that this you have no power here yeah exactly um and i think it's also interesting because it bleeds into the marketing of the camp of the product as well and this Mm -hmm. is for like a lot of ttrpg stuff and i think that actually powered by the apocalypse does it a little bit better than um wizard of the coast Mm -hmm. but um like we were talking about how there's not a whole lot of good merch for D and D for women. Like the only shirt that we came across when we were Are you talking about the D twenties shirt? Yeah. <laughs> Kill me. Yeah. The, for the listeners information, we're talking about a shirt that had two twenties on it. It says, yes, they're natural. Yeah. Just, you know, why come on, guys? <laughs> yeah. And I, I just think that like, it's weird that we aren't still treating, um, all 
genders and sexual orientations. And I think it's getting better, but we're not seeing them all as equal uh, members of the community mm-hmm. that is, you know, participating and purchasing and doing all the things that, you know, the white men have done as well. Mm-hmm. But we still cater to like a very specific idea of what people want for their merchandise, for their campaigns, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. I think, you know, in all arenas of life, I think we're having discussions about what diversifying means, what diversity means. Sorry, I misspoke. And all of these sort of conversations about like, well, how do we make this group not all white or et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, well, what is your group doing? Like, (laughs) are you making an an environment that's uncomfortable? Yeah. Are you making, or are you making Mm -hmm. one that's inclusive and safe? Like if, if your group is all white or all male or whatever, maybe just sort of think about what is the environment you're inviting people to join? Because if it's still hostile, then why would anyone want to join? Yeah. I also think that it's really hard to, I mean, it's really hard to accept that just the fact that you are a certain, you present in a certain way can cause hostility without you meaning to. Like Mm -hmm. if you look at all the the most famous actual play podcasts and stuff, most of them, if Mm -hmm. not all of them, uh, definitely just the the big ones that come to mind right now Mm -hmm. are like Dimension 20 and, uh, you know, uh, Critical Role and The Adventure Zone. All three of those are majority white and majority like, you know, uh, the DMs are all men <laughs> sort of thing. So like, uh-huh. it's, it's interesting. Uh, and like, I know that all of those groups are like very open and conscious of these issues, but also mm-hmm. is that already a hostile environment, you know? Yeah. And I think the, the sort of rigorous rule structure of a lot of these games lends itself to a kind of pedantry that I think of as sort of anathema. I'm like, I don't want to go near the guy who's going, actually, you can't do that because you need a gem and you're, (laughs) you know, this is a visual component spell as well. And you, you know, like, I like playing with a group, the group that I play with, we have sort of, we use the rules, we do, but, (laughs) but, but, (laughs) in sort of a loose sense. (laughs) Yeah, I think, well, I think the thing is that we don't lose sight of the fact that the rules are to enable you to play a great game. Yeah. So if you're, if you don't want to be worried about the encumbrance, like the weight encumbrance on your character, then just don't use that rule. Yeah. And I think, uh, approaching it with a little bit more fluidity makes it a, a more fun and sort of easy to join uh, thing. Yeah, honestly, (laughs) both as a player and as somebody who runs these games, I have never once tracked supply levels or (laughs) like even like when it comes to currency and stuff, it's Mm -hmm. for me... I don't care. Like, I yeah. don't, it's like, oh, you find 500 gold. It's like, nah, I don't care. I know, Someone I know. Else can hold on to that. <laughs> <laughs> None of my campaign, we never do shopping trips on my campaign. Yeah, it's right. just sort of like, if your DM wants you to find a cool thing, you'll find a cool thing. Yeah, and know? actually in, in um, because I mainly run out of Powered by the Apocalypse and some other systems other than D&D, but even mm-hmm. when I do D&D, it's usually when a character fails a role badly or Mm -hmm. something happens where it's like oh you're in a bad spot they'll be like oh you've run out of arrows or something like that as a as a way to be like oh stakes are going up yeah here's your crit miss and here's your punishment (laughs) (laughs) so it it becomes more of a storytelling tool in that way than a you know a a mark on a which is the point right you'd want to tell a collaborative story 
I, I do think that there are two, two different kind of schools of thought here because I also play with people who are like super into that. And it's more like more war gamey and people who mm-hmm. really like to like essentially within these rules, um, I guess it feels more empowering if you overcome something when mm-hmm. there were such strict rules on you because then you're like mm-hmm. I did it like I was able to <laughs> overcome this monster even though I had to have like a gem worth 500 gold <laughs> to cast that spell or whatever yeah um in fact last night uh I played and we had a character's uh brain get sucked out through his eyes fun, <laughs> um, fun and was dead and we had to like get him back up and someone was like i have like revivify after we had dealt with all of the the monsters mm-hmm. um and in the spell description it's like you need all the parts to bring the person back. <laughs> all the components and so we had basically led to a moment where it's like you have a minute to find this brain <laughs> <laughs> Um, which was like a cool moment. And so like I can, sometimes there are ways, like you said, where the yeah. rules can become and th- these like, um, these kind of guidelines can become a storytelling moment where yeah. you're like, oh boy, this is a real <laughs> moment that we have to deal with. <laughs> 100%. I get that. We had a, um, a game moment once where a character, a beloved character yeah. died oh, and no. <laughs> in the middle of a fight. And I think it was, my character. We did. <laughs> I don't know which of the characters were beloved. But it was mine. But it was me. Uh, it was 100% me. Um, no, it was. we were running this very strange campaign where no one wanted to take on the full responsibility of DMing. And yeah. so we did a rotating DM by virtue of like we had a, a family structure and uh, the family was cursed. So mm. they would randomly turn into an animal every once in a while. <laughs> and so whoever was the animal that week was the DM. Yeah. And we had this sort of collaborative storytelling model. Yeah. Um, so I was the DM that week and I did kill my own character for dramatic effect. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was funny because the next session I was like, you know, I started out and I was like, okay, you know, it's a week later, blah, 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 blah. And someone goes, I have revivify. And I was like, cool. That only works a minute after someone's died. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> whoops. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so like I 100% agree. The rules can be wonderful storytelling devices. I think it's really just about mixing and matching to make the game that you want. Yeah. And I think, a lot of players don't have that sort of flexibility. They're like, no, this is how you play D and D. And I'm like, yeah. well, there are a million ways well, to play D and D because it's, <laughs> it's an expansive rule set and why not tailor it to be the game you want? Yeah. That actually, since we're kind of talking about rule sets and how to run these games in a more inclusive way too, I kind of wanted to talk about that because I've been thinking about this a lot because I am running a weird West uh, campaign, which is essentially like it's the Wild West, except orcs, monsters, you know, elves, whatever you want mm-hmm. in there. Um, specifically, though, I came into, I just came upon the fact that like the Wild West had a lot of really fucked up stuff about it when yep. it came to race politics, gender politics, um, uh, just ev- economics. <laughs> Makes sense, yeah. Yeah, and, and it was also you know a time period which I I don't think I. I don't want to enforce rules that I don't agree, like societal rules I don't agree with on my players. Mm -hmm. And so like my strategy was to be like, I'm going to make some of this allegorical. I'm going to make it so like that there are vampires, werewolves and stuff like that. And they're just people, but there's like a lot of tension between the like non monster, Mm -hmm. like folk in town and even between the monster folk, just because they're all different and like none of them are, you know, quite, you know, 
quite easy. They all have like an, an uneasy truce, essentially. Sure, yeah. Um, and so I basically just was like, and this is so far into the future that it's like the past again. So, <laughs> so you know, I just kind of tried to sidestep a lot of that and just made like a different political situation for my characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, sometimes I'm like, man, is am I doing a disservice by even you know, offering something that could be interpreted as like, oh, like racially diverse people are monsters or whatever. And it's like, no, I didn't. No, it's just, we're just not dealing with that. We're just going to put all of that away. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I'm like, is that doing a disservice as well to just kind of take it away? So like, I I would love to hear your thoughts on it. Oh God, yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's really complicated. I think what I was thinking of when you mentioned, when you were, saying this is I was thinking about um this sounds like a real non sequitur but stick with me um I was thinking about Shit's Creek yeah and the retrospective that they did talking about how the show dealt with David's sexuality mm-hmm. and how impactful that show has been for queer audience members because they sort of had this moment of like okay well you know he's queer and he's in this small town yeah and so how are we going to deal with that and then going well why don't we just decide that the town's cool with it and it doesn't matter because this is a world that we are creating. Yeah. So I think, you know, remembering that this is fantasy, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can, the rules that govern our lives don't have to apply here. And so taking some creative license and saying, I don't like that. That makes me feel gross. Yeah. Means then you don't have to do it, (laughs) you know? Um, And I think that's important to keep in mind it because I cannot count The number of times, so I have, I'm going to alienate half of your listeners. Are you ready? (laughs) I'm so ready. Okay. I have beef with Game of Thrones. Okay. And specifically because of its treatment of women. I imagine that you are the only one who does Yeah, the only one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's perfect. I'm just (laughs) cranky. No, um, I, I have a serious issue with its treatment of women and Oftentimes, when I would cite this as a reason that I did not want to continue watching the show, people would be like, well, yeah, but, it, you know, that is the way that women were treated. It's historically accurate. Sure. And I'm like, there are dragons, Paul. <laughs> like, <laughs> don't talk are to me. Are they historically yeah, accurate? Yeah, don't talk to me about historical accuracy in your fantasy world. <laughs> yeah, it's like you don't. Yeah, I think that sometimes that um, the, like, time period piece of fantasy, it's like, yeah. because it's medieval sort of fantasy that uh, I have to, like, perpetuate misogyny and all this kind of stuff. And it's yeah, like, you like don't. you said, like, <laughs> like, what, when in Europe did they have to deal with trolls? You know, yeah, like, this it, is not a, a, a thing that you need to keep going with. You can yeah. choose to make a difference. Stretch your imagination, make a new society. Like, yeah. the point for me, okay, so I, I know everybody plays for different reasons. For me, the point is fun, obviously, but also <laughs> like <laughs> collaborative storytelling. Yeah. And I want to tell a good story and I will always make the choice that makes sense for my character and that I think will be funny. Yeah. So, um, you know, whereas I think a lot of people are sort of caught up in, I don't know, being cool or doing it right and having the hero move. Mm-hmm. I think it's more interesting when characters fail and... I often try to create a character with serious flaws. So if I <laughs> if I roll a two or a yeah. one or whatever, I can sort of go, yeah, magic's not under control yet. Or, yeah. you know, Tammy, I played a character called Tammy DeFay who was based, she was an elf cleric. Based on Tammy Faye, like the... Kind of. The she was, yeah, she was, she was an, an evangelical... Uh, 
for the god of light Very you know fun. like i was a light cleric so yeah. everything was just sort of like <laughs> if you buy my book i swear you'll be on the right path yeah <laughs> and like, exactly you know <laughs> So, you know, Tammy had numerous flaws, not least of which was that she was not a true believer. So, like, (laughs) I think, and I I think, you know, when this gets too masculine or or too wrapped up in this wish fulfillment, that that goes out the window. And then you can't have fun when your character fails. You just get mad. Yeah. I don't like that. Yeah, actually, (laughs) this is, uh, maybe this is a reveal of a character that I might play someday. Um, Mm -hmm. But I had a great idea for a character. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'd call him uh, Ronnie Devilman. (laughs) <laughs> because my naming scheme is very firm. That's uh-huh, the only rule uh-huh. I follow. Um, and essentially, he's a super nice guy, like uh, alignment mm-hmm. kind of good and like lawful, all that kind of stuff. He just kind of got caught up in a pyramid scheme yes. where he has signed away his soul mm-hmm. and he needs to get other people to sign away their souls. <laughs> is he a warlock? Y- yeah, he's a yeah, warlock. Perfect. He's a, like archfiend sort of like, <laughs> and, he, and basically he's like, I don't want you to have to sell your soul, yeah. but like I need other people under <laughs> me to like get rid of my debts yes. and just like, you know, selling the knives kind of thing. Um, and I just think that, like you said, making a character that's just full of flaws is way more fun. Yeah. <laughs> I just recently started uh, playing a game at work with some folks and I just did a, a rolling scheme and the intelligence was uh, a six. Love that. <laughs> yes. And like a lot of people would be like, oh, can I re-roll or whatever? But I also got like a 20 strength and like a good, you know, constitution. I was like, no, this is perfect. And so like, I think that like, <laughs> like you said, trying to play for the hero move is not always the best. Um, yeah. It's a recipe for disaster. It is. But people can get really sad really fast when they're not a hero, you know? <laughs> I know. I know. I, This makes me think of something, so I'm just going to segue quickly. Yeah, definitely. But but I think that one of the other reasons that it's hard to come into a a game system that has traditionally been sort of cis, white, and male Mm -hmm. is that the rolling, while fun, and while, you know, interesting if you're sort of going this route of creating flawed characters, does strip some agency away from your decision making if you're playing with the wrong dm or with the wrong group because you know i think making someone roll for something you want to pick your moments right because if the moment is you know i seduce this fellow player yeah right (laughs) or whatever it is it's like how about we just (laughs) carry out that fiction and i tell you to go fuck yourself you know what i mean like uh, don't don't roll for charisma don't do this that or the other just like let it bear out or better yet don't propose that yeah you know and i think keeping the rolling for like npcs and for skill checks that are not peer-to-peer is is a better way to play because i don't want to relinquish that sort of choice for my character of whether your your (laughs) suave wit worked or not like i want to make a choice here yeah and i also think that um and this is sort of building on what you just said and also going back to the hero moment stuff is that what um what we tend to think of a heroic character is like very based in masculine values 100 percent. and hero's journey is is built in totally and so it it sometimes can lead you if you're just trying to pursue that fantasy of being a huge misogynist dick. <laughs> <laughs> and so like, I, I don't know, like when it comes to like DMing, um, I just think it would be 
just like a base level interesting thing to do is to hold up more classically considered feminine values Mm -hmm. like you know considering others safety and you know emotional intelligence and Mm -hmm. like all of those things if if you as a dm like really raise up the importance of those things in your campaign you can automatically make more people feel included (laughs) yeah i mean what you choose to prioritize as checks can change the tenor of a game I think because you know I've played I've created characters knowing I'm playing with a group that's you know we're going to be doing a lot of decks and a lot of charisma and so I put (laughs) (laughs) I put you know my skills there and I'm like who's ever going to make me roll survival and then this past (laughs) this arc I'm playing right now yeah I don't know why I'm talking about it like it's the adventure zone (laughs) um (laughs) but this um this campaign I'm playing right now I had to roll survival like Ten times in yeah. the first the first game because my character was this crazy old man abandoned in a forest. Yeah. Um, and it's I think interesting to note as a DM how much value you're placing on which skills. Yeah, yeah. How often they're encountered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And um, man, I actually throughout this conversation, I'm just like, I gotta get you on. Um, I need to run a another game for you like a monster <laughs> of the week game or urban shadows i would love one. to i haven't played monster of the week but i'm very interested in it the thing that i love about those that are very fun and i think that really align with your values and the values that we've been talking about is that when you fail roles it's never like you don't do the thing you're gonna do mm-hmm. it's more like that uh i as the person who runs the game do not have any storytelling power until you don't roll well and mm-hmm. then I get to add details. That's cool. So it's more like if a monster's running after you and you like turn around to shoot at it or whatever and you really fuck up, then I get to be like, I get to tell how this ends. And so <laughs> and so I can be like, um, you like go to shoot and you know, you realize like we talked about earlier and you realize the gun is jammed. And right. like that monster is like right on top of you now. What yeah. do you do? And so you just keep ratcheting up stakes. And then when, if like people just keep rolling bad, <laughs> then it's a bad day for your character character and you start losing like having real punishments but yeah um i just love the idea that uh narrative power can also be like a way to level out these kind of problems where you're like if you're a dm and you're talking about something you don't know a whole lot about maybe look around the group and if there's someone who tells or like is able to tell that perspective a little better you'd be like what do you see in this room or whatever Mm. you know like and you give them a little bit more narrative weight so that you're not digging yourself into a problematic yeah Yeah, I think the best experiences that I've had with D&D are with, pardon me for always defaulting. It's the one I've Totally fine. It's the most popular one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But um, the most fun I've had with that are with DMs who are really flexible. Like they don't come in with nothing prepared, but they come in knowing that their characters are going to make decisions which are going to alter the story. Sure. And they're receptive to that. And that sounds very basic, but I don't think it is. I think actually taking into consideration what your players want Mm -hmm. and how they might solve an issue uh is really important yeah um i don't want a formless session but i want to not feel shoehorned into anything yeah what do you have to think about when you're offering a moral or a value choice in a game or you're offered one as a player or something like is there ever a way to make that feel comfortable i guess because like there is a how do you mean like yeah so i'll give you an example there there's a a water deep campaign that i played um and it's written into the book that in the dungeon of the mad mage under the city 
that they're on a certain level is just sort of like uh, a goblin like city that mm-hmm. traffics in, you know, essentially sentient beings. Like it, they yeah. basically catch people and they catch like creatures that are able to talk and stuff and then they sell them to other people. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's just like always feels a little weird if you're going to deal with that stuff. Yeah. And it's like, obviously these are goblins and they're not good things and you want to have the ability to destroy or to try to like you know have the fantasy of being able to put to stop this moral wrong Mm -hmm. but then like you said earlier there is a a part of my brain that's like but this doesn't have to exist and like i don't know it's just hard because there's like when you are offering up evil in a Mm -hmm. world how do you do it without you know digging yourself into a little bit of a, a pit yeah yeah um it's a good question. Um, first off, I never played the books, so sure, that, sure, sure, that sure. helps me avoid that <laughs> conundrum. But um, I think in the last few campaigns that I have specifically played, mm-hmm. the figure of evil has more closely resembled what I imagine in a real world situation to be the figure of evil. Yeah. Meaning that it's this sort of, wealthy powerful shadow sure. <laughs> shit <Yeah. laughs> um with people who are high standing members of society or whatever it is yeah. um so reframing what that evil looks like i think for me is valuable um yeah i don't know if that's a satisfying answer to that question yeah, no, I, I think that it kind of sparks something in my brain like you know how they say in comedy that you should always punch up it's that. Yeah. It's 100% it, that. It does feel that way. <laughs> yeah. That's what I always try to do in that I don't, you know, I think we have a lot of these sort of light versus dark narratives that yeah. are steeped in Which, honestly, racism and misogyny. And so I'm just like, well, how about we don't do that? How about we do the opposite? Yeah. I think that also no, I mean, absolutely no qualms if you're like just starting out as a storyteller or whatever. And a lot of your stories do have like very stark, like good and bad because it's easier to write yeah. and it's like all that kind of stuff. But like you said, it can lead to problems and it's based on values and it kind of, you know, tokenizes in the way of like J.R.R. Tolkien (laughs) Um, what like real world struggles into like fantasy tropes or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it can be a little bit problematic. And also it's way more interesting to live in a gray area of like, you know, something is bad, but not for like wow, you're the dark lord that is going to end the world. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It could be like, like you said, like maybe this person is, you know, just an uncaring figure. Monster. Yeah, that is just, you know, taking resources. And it's just like bootstrap it or whatever. Yeah. And and as a, a group, you have to, you know, wrestle with ideals that are a little bit more vague, I guess. Yeah. I do think, too, the campaign I'm currently in is doing something smart, which is that I think the force of evil in our campaign, it's early days yet, so I could (laughs) be wrong, but it seems like they are persecuting someone for what they do rather than for what they intrinsically are. And I I think that helps avoid the issue or rather create a compelling narrative without relying on, on a problematic trope. Yeah. And I mean, built, like we said, built into a lot of these, um, games there's some stuff that's weird like you know races in D can be a little you know problematic mm-hmm. with you know you know certain races inherently being 
smarter or faster or whatever yeah. it's kind of eugenics-y and they're and they're starting to like <laughs> remove all of that from the game which some people have problems with i don't um and just making it more of a feat-based system which i think is interesting i like but, that yeah i think that you can like you said you should center values not identities <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean more... i i think that's a quick way to create a system that doesn't feel gross yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, Margaret, thank you so much for coming on and talking. Thank you uh, for having me. Uh, and <laughs> it was a pleasure to chat with you. Is there anything you want to leave people with? Either you can plug something. Uh, I know that you are a, a stage combat, t uh, both teacher and choreographer, all that kind of <laughs> stuff. If you're in the Boston area, get at Margaret. Um, oh, thank you. It, actually, if you're in the Boston area, you know Margaret. <laughs> <laughs> That's very kind. Um, but otherwise, is there anything you want to, you know, say at the end here? Um, I think just remember you can create the game you want to play. And yeah. if you haven't played, I, uh, because you're worried about what that group is, play with your friends, play with the people that you love. You can learn the rules. You don't need an expert to guide you through. Yeah. Um, especially now I think D&D &D Beyond has a very user-friendly site. For it, real. It yeah. will help you tremendously in character creation. This isn't a secret tome anymore that you have to know all the ins and outs of yeah. it's it's um the gatekeepers have been very much <laughs> they've like, been beaten back a yeah, bit, <laughs> a little bit yeah. and i i also think um that if you are having trouble being vulnerable in a group maybe you don't have the opportunity to play with like close friends or something mm -hmm. that what i did with um bill mm -hmm. was that i would for the first like year and a half i was like bill does this bill does whatever yeah and just made it all third person and that allows you to keep a little bit of separation while still telling yeah. a fun story like i was like bill is sobbing right now <laughs> <laughs> i love an Here's accent for the same reason oh, i'm yeah? like there's no mistaking me for my character finn the brick tara because he's <laughs> he's irish as can be yeah um yeah i think that those are some fun little tips and tricks to to leave folks with yeah so thank you so much margaret no problem happy to be here bye <laughs>